My name is Dr. Brian Thatcher, and I would like to welcome you to Pearls of Divine Mercy. I'm speaking on behalf of Eucharistic Apostles of the Divine Mercy, a lay outreach ministry of the Congregation of Marians of the Immaculate Conception based in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. Our mission is to form Divine Mercy prayer groups or cenacles where people learn the faith and then build up the local church through spiritual and corporal works of mercy and to promote the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist and recitation of the Divine Mercy Chaplet during Eucharistic adoration for the intentions of the sick and dying. Our website is at www.thedivinemercy.org, thedivinemercy.org. For information on the ministry, please call us toll-free at 877-380-0727. All callers will receive a free prayer card with the Divine Mercy Chaplet on the back. Quotations of St. Faustina are taken from her diary, Divine Mercy in My Soul, copyright 2001, Marians of the Immaculate Conception. I was listening to the local radio recently in Tampa and became educated on the tragic case of Terry Shavo, a 36-year-old married woman who had suffered a heart attack with subsequent brain damage 11 years ago after her potassium levels became dangerously low. As Eucharistic Apostles of the Divine Mercy, we promote the sanctity of all human life. What caught my interest initially was that her brother uh, is a teacher at the Catholic high school my daughter attended, and I became more and more interested as I learned the facts of the case that has caught national attention. As a former practicing physician, I was intrigued when I learned about a malpractice case that was settled out of court and that her husband was awarded over a million dollars, most of which was set aside for Terry's long-term care. A physician who examined her believed that she was in a persistent vegetative state, or PVS, one of the criterion, other than impending death, that the state of Florida now regards as an indication to legally stop all forms of hydration and nutritional support. Terry has had tube feedings for 10 years and her condition is stable. The tube feedings are part of a daily routine and not a tremendous burden on her, and she is in no imminent danger of death. For several years, the husband has been seeking legal permission to have the tube feedings discontinued. The parents and siblings want her feedings to continue, but the husband, who is legal guardian, has refused and wants all feedings stopped. Under his plan, Terry would not be given any water or nutrition, and she would starve to death over a 7-14 to day period. One must first understand that legal and ethical issues are not the same. Just because something is legal doesn't make it right. Abortion is legal, yet morally wrong. While trying to sort out the moral answer on this, I wanted to find out what Catholic theologians and ethicists have written, understanding that I probably would find a spectrum of opinions if I searched hard enough. But I needed to know the mainstream perspective and opinions of leaders in the church that look at cases like this, using church teachings and known guidelines, and trying to find out what direction we should take in cases like this. From the periphery, some could justify withholding feedings, believing Terry would want such a thing and that it is the humane and merciful thing to do. I telephoned Dr. William May, Ph.D. from the John Paul II Institute for Marriage and Family in Washington, D.C., and asked for his opinion and clarification on several points to guide me regarding the case at hand. 
While there is no formal document from the Universal Church Magisterium, the majority of bishops maintain that it is obligatory to maintain nutrition and hydration to those who are permanently unconscious, but in no danger of death, unless in doing so it imposes a grave burden. This is the position taken by the U.S. Bishop's Pro-Life Committee's thorough document issued in 1992. It provided guidelines, and the document is a reference for such cases. It was also the position of the bishops in Directive No. 58 of the Ethical and Religious Directives for Catholic Health Services, the Pontifical Council for Pastoral Assistance to Healthcare Workers, and the Pontifical Academy for Life. In a brief to the New Jersey Supreme Court in 1987, the bishops of New Jersey argued that nutrition and hydration, which are basic to human life and as such distinguished from medical treatment, should always be provided to a patient adding that withdrawal of nutrition and hydration introduces a new attack on human life. The Pennsylvania Conference of Catholic Bishops in 1992 concluded in a comprehensive document notable for its medical references that the artificial provision of food to the permanently unconscious is morally obligatory since it is clearly beneficial in terms of preservation of life and does not in almost every case add a serious burden. However. Several individual bishops and bishops' conferences have taken a contrary opinion. The Texas bishops in 1990 issued a document that said there are cases where it is morally appropriate to withdraw nutrition and hydration from a permanently unconscious patient and that the morally appropriate foregoing or withdrawing of artificial nutrition and hydration from a permanently unconscious person is not abandoning that person. The Texas bishops' position, in Dr. May's opinion, was much less developed than the document from the Pennsylvania Conference, and it is notable that two of the Texas bishops refused to sign the document. And what about the financial burdens imposed on the families by such treatment? The U.S. bishops, in their Ethical and Religious Directives No. 56, state that a treatment is not proportionate and therefore not obligatory if it imposes excessive expense on the family or community. This principle, expounded in the Vatican Declaration on Euthanasia in 1980, was founded on the teaching of Pope Pius XII and the Church's moral teaching. However, Terry's case does not meet this criteria as monies are available to feed her, and even if not, her parents are willing and want to continue to care for her. Dr. May believes that the moral decision to continue feedings is correct and is compatible with Directive 58 of the Ethical and Religious Directives for Catholic Health Services and with the position of the Pontifical Council for Pastoral Assistance to Healthcare Workers in its Charter for Healthcare Workers. The administration of food and liquids, even artificially, is part of the normal treatment due to the patient when this is not burdensome for him. Their undue suspension could be real and properly called euthanasia. The case I've spoken about is a tragedy and all parties have suffered tremendously. And, as if the case alone isn't enough, my reflecting on the law and the ethics and the attitudes of people regarding suffering, dying, and the trials of those involved caused me great consternation. Although the law states only the terminally ill and those in the PVS condition may have feedings discontinued, I began to reflect on the future and the slippery slope that we are on. What will happen to children with severe cerebral palsy, hydrocephalus, or congenital defects? Many of them, especially as infants, require assistance with feeding and would never be able to feed themselves. 
What if the parent or guardian decides they no longer want to care for the disabled infant and that the feeding creates an excessive burden for them in society? Will they be starved as well, all for their own good and as an act of compassion? And what will be the plight of all the elderly in nursing homes? Will we see an ongoing trend in attitudes and beliefs where one day it will be expected that they all be euthanized, all in the name of God and mercy? A couple years ago, I read an article where a physician was recommending that fetuses be anesthetized before they are aborted in order that they feel no pain. The proponent said that this was the merciful thing to do. Is this really being merciful? Before we jump on the bandwagon of mercy this and mercy that, let us pray and reflect whether this is really mercy at all. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Brian Thatcher, for Pearls of Divine Mercy. If you would like to know more about our efforts to form Divine Mercy prayer groups or cenacles and to promote recitation of the Divine Mercy Chaplet during Eucharistic Adoration for the Sick and the Dying, please call our ministry toll-free at 1-877-380-0727 or look at our website at www.thedivinemercy.org thedivinemercy.org All callers will receive a free prayer card with the Divine Mercy Chaplet printed on the back.